And then on, on bigger granularities. So one of the things that we also observe is that used products uh, can have much more value proposition for customers. So we invite third-party sellers to compete against us on our prime real estate, which is our detail pages. That's an invention that also not only adds a lower price, but selection too. So you go through all these things. Selection, uh, one of the things that we've done recently to increase breadth of selection at Amazon is, again, invite these third-party sellers in. This works in all the categories where we operate. Uh, and in some of the newer categories, like apparel, it's a huge part of the strategy. Um, convenience, the most recent thing that we've done to increase convenience is for our heavy customers, uh, which is something called Amazon Prime. And Amazon Prime is a, uh, we only launched this a week ago, and it is a uh, $79 flat fee membership. You pay $79 a year, and you get two-day shipping for free. Uh, and that is a, uh, uh, the, the idea here is to take what might be an indulgence for people, getting next day air shipment or second day air, next day air, next day air is just $3.99 an item once you're a member, and take something that they might perceive as an indulgence, transform it into a fixed cost, and then once people can view it as a fixed cost, they say, well, why not have two-day shipping on my items? Um, and so for a certain segment of customers, this is a very attractive proposition. And it's, for, it's specifically for that segment of customers where convenience is most valued. So uh, it, you know, there's another segment of customers who are, uh, who are completely happy to wait you know, eight business days for the products. They'll use our Super Saver shipping offer, which is free. All they have to do is meet a $25 order hurdle. So they're perfectly willing to save a few things in their shopping cart until they can meet that order hurdle. They sort of manage that. It creates a little bit of mental overhead for them, but they're, they're okay with that. And so that becomes a great value proposition for them. And there's another set of customers who think about this completely differently. They hate the fact that there's this $25 order hurdle. Um, they want to be able to buy you know, one thing when they see it, get it done, have it come. They want it to come fast. They don't want to have to think about it. They don't want to have to try and optimize shipping costs. And in fact, one of the things that happens for that kind of customer, too, is they create there's a kind of um, cognitive dissonance or guilt that gets set up in their head. You know, it, they kind of, they, since they can get the shipping for free, they feel like they should be getting the shipping for free. Um, and so uh, even though you know, maybe f for them uh, that's not actually a rational economic consideration. Um, this is uh, another uh, convenience-oriented feature that's been on the website for a couple of years now, it's instant order update. Uh, and this reminds you that you've already bought something. And we get feedback from customers all the time. This is something that we measured, tested very, very carefully, and it reduces sales. Um, there's just no question about it that it, in the short term, it's a statistically significant way reduces sales. And we, so we overruled that with judgment and said, even though we can't do long duration longitudinal tests in time, like, like a drug company would do to test for toxicity and that kind of thing, where they do like a 10-year test. That, those tests are just so expensive to do. Um, we're going to make an intuitive bet that having this thing that reminds you that you already bought something will, will, actually, will be so beloved by customers that it will be one of the reasons they like Amazon.com. And, so, uh, and 
And in fact, we do get tremendous anecdotal response back from customers saying they love this feature. Little you know, thank you notes saying, I was about to buy the same music CD that I bought a year ago. And this is very real. I don't know, you know, some people are more organized and have better memories than others. I definitely fall prey to this. In fact, just yesterday, I was reading a blog that mentioned a, um, a Walt Disney DVD on the, back in I think the late 50s or early 60s, I can't remember when, Walt Disney um, was very interested in space, and he hired uh, Werner von Braun and did a whole series of television specials about the exploration of space, starring Werner von Braun. And these things have been collected on a DVD, and I read about this on this blog, and I thought, my God, this is so cool. I have to buy this. And so I went to Amazon.com. Actually, they were an associate, and so they had a link handy for me, and I clicked right through to the detail page, and there was my instant order update. I had bought it a year ago. <laughs> um, and I've never watched it. I bought it, and I must have, like, you know, put it somewhere, and so now I, I'm going to go search for it. Um, um, this is a real one, too. Drew, who's sitting down here, told me that he almost bought these uh, earrings for his wife a second time. And <laughs> is that a true story? Um, and uh, so I think in that case, we, that was really a valuable service. Um, another uh, convenience-oriented feature is giving people high-quality product information right on the detail page. And one of the great things about this is, an exa this is a piece of the detail page for the Segway, and it explains in great detail how the Segway works. And um, one of the great things about the online model that, that we use is that a lot of our best customer experience is a fixed cost. So if you have enough scale, if you have, you know, in, in, so in the last 12 months, we have these um, uh, you know, 47 million customers who have purchased from Amazon.com. And if you have 47 million customers, you get to amortize that, uh, the cost of all this content across that very large customer base. And so there's a sense in which you can have your cake and eat it too. If you look in the physical world, at physical world uh, retail stores, it, the kind of high-touch customer experience stores cannot have the lowest cost. And the reason for that is that those stores the things that generate high-touch customer experience in the physical world are variable cost things. So when you double your sales, you double those costs. Our model, when you look at this kind of content or any of the software features that we provide, at instant order update, it's, you know, somebody has to develop that and maintain it and make it work. But it would cost us the same to do that development if we had a million customers as it does if we have 47 million customers. So that, 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 um, that aspect of our model that we get to transform customer experience into a fixed cost instead of a variable cost is really a key. It's underappreciated aspect of, of what we do. Uh, now, uh, this is also, for any company that wants to be innovative, absolutely critical thing to do, which is to not be distracted when people tell you that this is stupid and isn't going to work. Um, and people are well-meaning, and entrepreneurs, uh, and, 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 and I use that term in the most broad way, um, you know, people who are building, people who are inventing, have to have this combination of stubbornness and flexibility. 
Um, and the trick, of course, is knowing which to use when. Um, but, uh, but what you cannot do is be distracted by the outside world. You have to stay heads down, focused on customers, and not let external events distract you. And Amazon is a very good case of this. Um, this is um, uh, December of 1998. Uh, but, and actually, this is a phrase that, um, and I think Rob is in the audience, but this is not you, Rob. You didn't write this. Um, <laughs> um, but this is, the, this is a case of, uh, uh, in 1997, um, uh, Forrester Research coined this term. And, and Barnes & Noble had just launched their uh, online store. And I thought that Forrester had a very good point. Um, they were saying, you know, Amazon is this two-year-old company. They've had this nice two-year run. But, you know, sort of now the, the big, the big uh, gorilla has come to town. And at the time, we had annual revenues of $60 million a year. We had 125 employees, and Barnes and Noble had you know 30,000 employees, and at that time I don't know three billion dollars a year in sales, and so it didn't seem like an even fight, and uh, and they coined this term Amazon.toast, and and it was widely picked up, and you know the, the and it did bother the, the there's one feedback loop here that has to be managed, which is you have to make sure that. The, the, that you have some all hands meetings and that you communicate to employees what they sh you know should they be worried about this or shouldn't they be worried about this, and in our case I thought this was a very simple situation because the um, I didn't think there was anything we could do about what our competitors were going to do and so you know we did have the all hands meeting and I asked all of our 125 employees to be terrified and to wake up with their sheets drenched in sweat every morning. <laughs> And uh, I did. I carefully specified sweat, um, and and but that they should be afraid not of our competitors, but they should be afraid of our customers because our customers are the only ones who are going to ever give us money, um, and so that helps. It actually helps have that kind of customer focus if you're because it, it helps you stay heads down. You don't get worried about what your competitors. Your competitors are going to do what your competitors are going to do. You can watch them. You can learn from them. But you can't um, let them set your strategy. You have to do what you're going to do. And you also can't let the media set your strategy. Um, and, 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 but you do see that happen. You can't let Wall Street set your strategy either. This is a year after Amazon. This is 19, May of 1999. <laughs> um, and uh, this, um, I, I've always been amused by this. But I'm, I'm comfortable being misunderstood. But this, I have to tell you, my mom really hated this. This really bothered her. Um, she, she was so pissed off about this. Uh, this just that, she just didn't like that caricature. It really bothered her. So, but uh, anyway, you just have to ignore uh, those outside uh, influences. You can listen and kind of try to see if there's any, any, any kernels of truth that you can take and adapt. There's no reason to have a siege mentality. But that's, those are the kind of reactions you see. You either see that people enter this sort of siege mentality with respect to external factors, or, they, uh, uh, or they're too responsive to these external factors. Uh, and the reality is you have to take it with a grain of salt and you know, re-examine your strategy, make sure that you really believe in it, it's the right one, and stick to it. That's the only way you can invent. 
Um, because invention always leads you down paths that people are going to think are weird. It's sort of obvious. This is, uh, this, is, uh, this is that ACSI score. And it's actually four years running that we've had this highest uh, score. So one of the things I mentioned is the, with the carbon dating and what happens in the um, uh, uh, online is, you, uh, in the, well, in tech in general, is you get, you get so much change and you have to sometimes look at the change and see what you can invent. So one of these things is Moore's Law which is re remarkable, and it's variance for bandwidth and, 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 and storage. But if you look at disk space costs, as, a, as an example, disk space is 30 times cheaper today than it was five years ago. And so, you know, that's just what happens when things get twice as cheap every year for five years. And humans aren't good at thinking in those kind of, you know, exponential terms, but this is really um, a big deal, and if, if, you, if you were to picture a physical store, it creates, when things change that rapidly, it actually creates a problem. You have to figure out what are we going to do with all that disk space? Because it's not, you know, you can't just pocket the cost savings. You don't get enough value out of that. You have to say, well, if we can use 30 terabytes of disk, and that's a reasonable thing to, to, to spend money on now, um, what could you do that would actually benefit customers that use this 30 terabytes of disk? Um, and the, uh, uh, one of the things that we did was search inside the book, which uses about 30 terabytes of disk, because we keep the full images of all the pages, and we now have uh, over 200,000 uh, different books that are completely searchable, and you can view the actual images of the books. And, uh, and, and that, uh, uh, it kinda, the good news about that is it's very beneficial to customers, and it soaks up a lot of this now almost free disk space that you can buy out in the world. Um, another example is uh, A9. Let me just go here, which just launched, again, about a week ago, the A9 Yellow Pages. Let me do a search on optical. Oh, and this regular mouse works, too. And it's a lot easier to use. Um, and one of the innovative things that the A9 team did for their Yellow Pages is take 20 million photos of over a million different businesses in 10 different cities. Um, and they did that in a very cool way. I mean, this in some, you know, here, if you go down the list here, this is optical in Seattle. Uh, but you know, the, the map changes the little numbers highlighted as you go over, which I think is a nice user interface touch. But if we go down to Optical Illusions, Inc., Click on that. Takes you to a detail page for Optical Illusions, Inc. And you can kind of stroll along the street here. So here is, um, you know, and you can zoom in on this picture. And actually, this is kind of a cool picture because this is, you can see in the reflection of this window that's the vehicle that we took the picture from. <laughs> and uh, I also, I like the way this guy is in motion. It's just kind of a, and that you can't barely see her, but there's a woman behind him. You can just sort of see her, see her shoes. Um, we have, it's only been up a week, and, but, you know, but if you take 
20 million, 20 million photographs of a million different businesses, we've already gotten lots of contacts from people um, you know, who, are, who found themselves in these pictures. <laughs> and uh, if they request to be removed, we remove them. But, but this, is, uh, 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 this is a pretty cool use of technology. And again, it's looking at what's changed in the world. Because one of the most interesting things about this is, is how they did it. Um, and you can keep going, by the way. I can click here, and it'll take me you know, down the next street. I can just keep walking down this street. Um, okay, so how did they do this? Should I go to the back to the PowerPoint? All right. Here's the truck. There, there, uh, there are more than one of these. Um, that is a uh, a camera, a digital camera mounted on the top of the truck. And when they first started doing it. Their first tests were done with, not with SUVs, but with regular cars. And, um, and the, the camera was not in any kind of enclosure. But they attracted too much attention, and people would, like, smile for the camera <laughs> uh, or, or do more profane things <laughs> for the camera. Um, so they solved that problem by getting a, a taller vehicle and uh, you know, putting the camera in an enclosure so it just sort of looks like some luggage on the roof and people don't notice it. Um, and the, the, so, let's see. Here's <laughs> one of the, you guys, if you've been to Times Square, you may have seen this guy. He's out there all the time. I think he's called the Naked Cowboy. Um, he's been doing this for years and years and years. He was there, he's been there at least for eight years, maybe longer, I don't know. Um, and I think TGI Fridays has hired him now. Um, as a sort of mascot. But anyway, the, um, they captured the uh, naked cowboy in Times Square. Let me, is this when I go to the video? All right, let me see. We've got to do this the hard way because it's not working the easy way. All right, watch this. I should, actually, let me pause this for a sec. Um, this, let me give you a little setup. So this is some, some of the actual footage from this camera. This is a, just to give you the, the this is a, a camera that is connected to a laptop that has a GPS in it. Um, and so the, G, the car just drives around, and the driver doesn't have to do anything except make sure all the equipment is running properly. And it just takes, you know, a bunch of frames per second. And... Uh, and, 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 and the car knows where it is at all times. Um, so this, uh, now, we, we, one of the cities that we did, we did over 10 cities, but one of them was Washington, D.C. And, um, uh, and, and the driver, whose name is Josh in this case, had a fairly interesting experience because the camera broke. Um, it needed some adjustments. It just got jiggled or something. It needed to be f fixed and remounted. So, which happens occasionally, so he didn't think anything of it. He stopped the car, he got out, and he started to fix the uh, camera. But unfortunately for Josh, um, he, he happened to stop right in front of the State Department. <laughs> and um, and uh, unfortunately, just to make matters a little more complicated, it was the day before the election. And so Washington was at its highest uh, state of alert. And uh, fortunately, this entire incident was captured 
uh, on video, and it's kind of fun to watch. So there's Josh. He's getting out of the car. Going to work on the uh, camera a little, but he sees somebody's coming. He's reaching for his cell phone now, trying to call Amazon.com legal. Now, now there are two of them. They're very curious why Josh is photographing the State Department. Here's the third one. Here's, here's, the, here's the fourth one. And if you can catch glimpses of Josh's face, you can see that he is a little stressed. By the way, to, at, at a certain point here, you can see the woman in the red hair um, who I think is the one sort of in charge, she's trying to calm Josh down, and she says something to him like, it's not like we're accusing you of having a bomb or anything, which didn't really work. Um, oh, yeah, here's the, the great... The, they take a picture of Josh, and, the, uh, and they, they actually were... Um, were they, they actually were very... Uh, friendly to Josh, and he explained the whole thing, and they made some phone calls and confirmed his strange but true story um, about what was going on, and all, the whole incident only took like 45 minutes, and, 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 and Josh was sent on his way uh, to photograph the rest of Washington, D.C. Um, let's go back. But all of those things, oh, okay. All those things are. If you look at what all the problems that had to be solved to do something like get that, you know, the GPS integrated with the digital camera and get those in trucks and then solve all these little point problems that people were noticing the camera and so on. That's what innovating is all about. Um, it really is those kinds of problems. And the great thing about this is, uh, at Amazon.com is. I do very little of this. So, you know, we have a culture where people in small teams can go off and do these relatively low-cost experiments and try to build uh, neat things. If you want to have an innovative company, the single most important thing, even ahead of minimizing the cost of experimentation, is to make sure that you're selecting the people correctly on the way in. Um, and so you need to hire people who uh, like to build, who like to invent, um, and you need to make sure that they like to do that at all granularities. You know, sometimes you come across these people who are only interested in inventing at the, at the grandest sort of whiteboard level, um, and they actually can't make progress in the real world. They, you know, they're unwilling to figure out how to mount the camera on top of the truck. Um, and mounting the camera on top of the truck turns out to be incredibly important. Um, this is, uh, I've mostly included this slide to demonstrate my true pedigree as a geek. This is me in fourth grade, um, and uh, all, most of you in this room are far too young to recognize that device that I'm sitting in front of. But I was—I'm—I'm um, I'm one of the only people I know who had access to a, my age who had access to a computer in fourth grade. I went the school that I went to in, in Houston um, got this—a uh, company donated this teletype and also donated some excess uh, mainframe uh, time-sharing time that they had. And so we got this thing one day, and none of the teachers knew how to use it, and nobody knew how to use it, but it had manuals. And that, that phone receiver, it's called an acoustic modem, 
and you actually put the, uh, it's a 300 baud modem, and the, all the programs were stored on paper tape, which you punch holes in. And um, uh, we, uh, me and about three other kids started staying after school and, and learned how to uh, program this, uh, this mainframe computer and store our programs and our very primitive programs on paper tape. And that went on for several months until we discovered um, that the mainframe was pre-programmed to play Star Trek. Um, and pretty much that's all we did with the computer after that. We would stay after school. The teachers were like, boy, these kids just love computers. Um, it was this really cool Star Trek game um, where, you know, the, and it's all done on this, this teletype on paper, and it would print a little... Uh, I think it was a nine by nine grid, and somewhere in that nine by nine grid, like you know, an asterisk would be a star, and a plus sign would be a Klingon ship, and you had to do. It was a simulation game, and you had to like, you know, you had limited resources, like you had only so much power, and you had to decide how to allocate that power between shields and engines and phasers, and um, it was actually unbelievably fun, and uh, so, uh, th th but you've got to. This is, you've got to find people who are passionate about building. This is our first uh, employment ad at Amazon.com. We posted this on Usenet, and, uh, and we asked for exactly what we wanted. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the technology, uh, computer science people and, and business people who are interested in technology have always been most important. So you must have experience designing and building large and complex yet maintainable systems, and you should be able to do so in about one-third of the time that most competent people think possible. Um, and by the way, uh, as a total aside, you'll see that the name of the company at the time was Cadabra. Uh, that was the first name of the company, and Cadabra was a terrible name um, because while driving across the country, my wife driving, I called a, an attorney in Seattle and asked the attorney to, if he could incorporate the company so it would already be ready by the time we arrived. And he said, sure, this is no problem. By the way, this attorney was um, my friend's divorce attorney. So it wasn't, this wasn't like Wilson Sonsini or anything. You know, this was, and, and um, so he said, sure, you know, what do you want the name of the company to be? And I, you know, it was all, proud of myself for having anticipated that question. And um, I said, Cadabra. And he said, Cadaver? <laughs> I, I thought, I knew right then that my name choice was not going to survive for long. I was like, no, 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 Cadabra, like Abracadabra. Um, and he was like, oh, okay. Um, so he, uh, uh, about three months later, we changed the name uh, to Amazon.com. Uh, and uh, that was chosen because it started with the letter A, and at that time, all of the lists online were alphabetized, and it was also the domain name was available, and it, was inter it worked internationally, and it was short and easy to spell. So there were a whole bunch of good features of that. 